0: Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, something from the cellar. Another mini episode of our midweek drop that sees us revisit some of the brilliant guests we've had on the show over the last four and a half years. It's a simple enough menu. I'll bring you three of my favourite vintages from the cellar. We'll sit back together, relax and enjoy them. Sound good? Great. Well, this week it's all about music. It's such an important part of so many of our guests' lives. For many, it encapsulates and reminds them of the best and worst of times in their lives. For others as is the case with these guests today, making music is their calling. And first up, it's Ray, she's one of the most successful singer-songwriters out there, having quit her record label to do it herself and with huge success. But it hasn't always been easy, and she's faced many an obstacle as an up-and-coming songwriter, but she was never going to let that knock her off her path to success. And now she's right where she deserves to be. I mean, Imagine standing in line hearing from Beyonce herself that one of her songs was going to be used on the Lion King soundtrack to the days that she spent writing music with David Guetta in his James Bond-esque villa in Ibiza. Not bad, day. Eh? I found on YouTube this brilliant clip where, so just oh. to give the listeners some context, you had submitted a track to the Beyonce team and you've been told that, yeah, it's being used on the Lion King soundtrack. hmm And then she leans over at the premiere on the red carpet while you're posing for the paparazzi. <laughs> and says something to you, and you start jumping up and down. Yeah. And what what did she tell you?
3: It was in that moment that I found out that the song was going to be part of the project. She leaned over and she was like ray like i just wanted you to know she was like ray and i'm like who's, who's calling my name <laughs> uh she's like i want the song to be track one on the song is song is track one on the album this is, the song is called bigger and we've shot a video for it and i'm so excited and i was looking at her like what are you joking me that was a pinch me moment it was ridiculous
0: that is a pinch um, me moment, isn't it? I mean, that, yeah. what did she mean to you as an artist? Because I can imagine that, you know, when you're studying heads down at the Brit school, Queen Bay is like, she is literally Queen.
3: Yeah. I mean, everyone has the same stories, but I remember, you know, being... Well, growing up and lying in bed with my best friend, watching YouTube, and we're just watching on repeat Beyoncé Live... Singing runs, performing like to the point that we're there, crying tears. Like it's just so good. (laughs) You know, she's 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 a queen, and she's one of the most hardworking, most ridiculous performers. She's inhuman. What she's capable of is just nuts. So to be able to contribute to her artistry is just mind blowing. Yeah. Did you cry?
0: I did cry. Good. I did. I cried. <laughs> yeah, I cried. What did you say to her?
3: I, I don't know. What did I say? I was like, are you joking? I was like, really? I was like, ah! I, lo- <laughs> I screamed and I clapped and I said cheese with the picture. It was, yeah. And for all of us writers who was there, there was um, another another good friend of mine called Guilty Beats. And it was absolutely crazy because two maybe a year and a half Before, we were in Ghana together, which is where we're both from, um, in West Africa. Mm -hmm. And we were making beats together, and we were having a little low. We were having, like, you know, reflecting on the year. And, you know, the music industry is a tough place. We all know this. You know, the creative industry, very competitive and very, you know, tough at its worst of times. And we were sitting together, and we were really, like speaking words of affirmation into our potential, into our future, and we were like, we're going to make some really good songs, and one day, one day, no, we were like, not one day, next year, Beyonce's going to, or Rihanna, or someone is going to reach out and want it, and then it happened, so it's just, it comes around, you know.
0: I really think, actually, that when you put it out there... At the risk of standing yeah. like Noel Edmonds, it does come back to you, it does, doesn't it?
3: <laughs> I really agree. That's why you have to, I've always walked with the attitude, even when everyone's like, what, well, you being ridiculous. I'm like, I am going to win, eventually. You know, it's just like, the more times your name is in a draw, the more likely you are to get picked out. So you just got to keep writing your name on those pieces of paper and just shoving them in, you know?
0: (laughs) But it also helps if you have got the ability to write a a top line, hooky as you like, can't deny it on the radio, single. Yeah. And you have been vomiting them out lately. I mean, literally. (laughs) There is no stopping you, woman. You're incredible.
3: Oh, thank you so much. It's so lovely to hear.
0: So, you called that moment a pinch me moment. And I wanted to see if we could dive into some of your other pinch me moments because your CV so far in your, you know, couple of decades on this planet is mm. mind blowingly brilliant. And I um, love how you've made those moments count and you've used them as building blocks. So, so talk mm-hmm. me through some of your other seminal wow moments.
3: Oh, okay. Another pinch me moment is. David Guetta, who is now one of my best friends, um, is one of the absolute most amazing human beings on the planet. I'm really good at doing his impression now. Go on, I want to hear it. He's like, Ray, Ray, how you doing? I have found a new sound. I have it, a new sound and... You need to hear this new beat, this new idea. So he's like always, always on fire about something new. <laughs> like he's always onto the next. He's moving ten million miles an hour, and he is absolutely brilliant. But we, we actually worked so well together that we we hosted a writing camp in his house in Ibiza last year, and we were gonna do it this year, but obviously COVID. Um, but we flew out some of the most incredible writers. I got to choose the writers. He chose the producers. And then we would make music and go and perform it that night. Wow. To, like, 70,000 people on a private jet somewhere, like, a few hours away. So it's just, like, you're now there seeing music reacting instantly opposed to what I'm normally doing is write a song and you wait months if most of the time years before you get to see that instant reaction you know um so
0: yeah that's that's a beautiful crazy that is a beautiful experience to be able to accelerate that moment so so you're in ibiza with David Guetta, who's like don of the island. You know, he headlines everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I know how that kind of works. So they base themselves in Ibiza for the summer, but then they jet out all over the place to do other gigs. Because yes. they headline yes. one night a week on the island. Exactly. So he's, and I know he's got an insane villa there, hasn't he? Oh, it's
3: so It's <laughs> oh, <here's> a crib. <laughs> do you know what? He was in Ibiza this year, actually, just gone... He was like, Ray, you thought the old house was good? He's like, I'm in some new house. It's like James Bond, like, rah, rah, (laughs) rah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, This guy's living his best life. He's just... The house was so beautiful.
0: So you you get to handpick the best writers that you want to work alongside. He brought a load of producers to the table as well, didn't he? Yeah. So then what you'd you'd kind of cram in and, and write and produce and then jump on a private jet fly somewhere else to some insane gig where you're headlining to... (laughs) And then just perform it that night. It sounds
3: so nice, doesn't it? Even better, he had a chef, so we wake up, he's like, breakfast is at 1. Breakfast is at (laughs)
0: 1pm. Yeah, but you're working some late hours.
3: (laughs) Yeah, we are. We wake up, everyone would get around the table, his chef would cook us all breakfast, and then we break out into different groups... Um, and we'd just create music. And I was making it by the pool, outside, under an umbrella, like cocktail in my hand. Ah, oh, sun on my skin. Babe, we had the best time. It was really great. We're going to do it again.
0: I don't know how you can better that moment.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well.
0: Next up is Ella Henderson, one of the best voices to emerge from the X Factor, and her career has skyrocketed. She spoke to me about how often the toughest of times can actually become the very best of times for songwriters.
4: I knew that I wanted to write songs for artists, and I loved, like... My icons are like Carol King, Ella Fitzgerald, Aretha Franklin, like proper empowering women that sit behind a piano, can sing the song, stand at the mic and tell you what it's about. And it's from a real life experience. So I heard that there was a new rule on the show that year and I wanted to audition because I really wanted to um, see if there was a producer or an agent anywhere behind the scenes that could kind of just give me a leg up or an intro to someone in the industry and help me or give me feedback. Because when you are living in Grimsby, you know, and access
0: to any kind of label... Is well? How do you how do you even do that? Yeah, um, you know Gary Barlow sat here on this stage a couple of, of weeks back talking about <gasps> <love> exactly <laughs> but talking about exactly that. And he's like, he used to travel down from Cheshire mm. with his with his you know cassettes of his, <laughs> his original. Like he had a million love songs on this cassette that he'd written at the age of fifteen, and oh he would just gosh. sit in record company foyers hoping that somebody from A yeah. and R would pass, and he could at least put it in their hand and mm. sort of beg them to play it. Really, because Otherwise, how else? Unless you know people, how do you get? Even yeah, you have. You've got to kind of like try door. and create them opportunities yeah. for yourself. So the X Factor was a brilliant fast track for that. Yeah, and, no, and absolutely. Then, and I thought it was very astute actually of the of the show to introduce a songwriting element because you would started to see some. Certainly, the moment they did that, James Arthur was in your year, wasn't he? He was,
4: yeah. And it's so another
0: was great artist. Right? Artist, yeah, yeah. not not. Not kind of It did ways. feel like
4: a special year that year. You had like James and myself, um, and we, right, even Rylan from that year, like he is like been a lifelong friend and like my agony aunt throughout my whole career. So, and we've been there for each other through thick and thin. And I think it just did feel like a special year. And also, I think nobody quite understands what it's like to be a part of that unless you were one of those contestants. Mm. Um, and in recent years,
0: you know, the, the, show, the show waned in popularity. But when you guys were on it, and I know because I used to host The X Factor, It's intense. It is. It is you know we didn't have social media
4: though yeah, it was you didn't. We, we had it but it was like low level very low level When Twitter. I th- when I looked, yeah like you know like getting a tweet like you just mentioned about Adele like that's if you got a tweet from somebody that would like whereas now it's like you know you get tags comments yeah. stories and, and, I and you can Brian slide and be... in the DMs of someone yeah. like and if, even if they don't follow you like that didn't exist then mm-hmm. and I feel like it was kind of like the beginning of like this, this new age and stuff but I feel like that was like the last year where it felt a little bit more I don't know like you couldn't there wasn't you couldn't really see the the, the negative parts the trolling yeah the trolling side of it all although and I, think, I, th- I
0: felt Ryland got some of that um because he became sort of a, the, probably one of the first iterations of a meme yeah. with the crying <laughs> with Nicole and then the papers you know which still had to, you know a lot of clout then I mean they still do now but amplified that and then yeah. he, I mean For me, I'd I'd been around the the first time around with things like pop stars with Darius and I I felt like he was being made a bit of a, turned into a bit of a joke.
4: Yeah. And actually he really is having
0: the last laugh now, so,
4: you know. (laughs) I think Ryland's Ryland's done better off than me and James put together, so I'm buzzing (laughs) for him. (laughs) He's had an incredible riding career and stuff, so um, no. So really important friendships came out of that decade then. No, absolutely. And I think um, coming away from it as well, I think what that show did give me was like this real kind of sense of, I almost treat it like this is like a boot camp of what's to come, because there were parts of it that were really difficult, like being all of a sudden, like, writing songs in my bedroom or writing songs at school um, and only my family and friends kind of known about it so all of a sudden like doing it on tv cameras Mm. magazine shoots like I think I ended up being like the only girl left halfway through that competition so I was constantly the one that was flung forward to do anything that was you know all this makeup thing wants to do this with you and I and I had to do the whole lot I had kind of no say in it but I did enjoy it because I think there had to be a part of me that did, because I am the type of person where if I really hated something, you yes. would know and I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Like, and my dad's always said that about me. He calls me the dominator. Like, there's just this part <laughs> of me where it's like, no, I'm not doing That's not it. not really the cutest family nickname I've no, ever heard. No, it's not. That and frog face, because I've got a massive mouth and I grew into my mouth as a kid. Um, I grew into my yeah, mouth. Yeah, my, my mum and dad say it's why I can sing. So I've just, I always had this huge mouth. It's a big teeth. gob on me. No, I know, exactly. And I've had to grow into it. Um, in talking about those those kind of key moments
0: Adele must have been one of them
4: yeah for sure Adele performing on the Ellen show I think like one of the most special moments to me was probably when I would land in a new country that I'd never been to before and there would be like some fans at the airport which I found like crazy and bizarre and getting into a cab, putting the radio on and hearing my song played there for the first time, that would always be like the most surreal thing. So I just be like, what, how? Like, I've never heard of this city yet. They already know about me. Like, it was just very bizarre to me. Um, and something that I just like I never really got used to and still would never get used to. And just you never really take their moments for granted because it is pinch me moments. It's like what you always dream of. And it was always happening to me like a lot sooner than I ever anticipated. You know, almost before you were ready for it. Yeah. I mean, my goal, like you said about Gary being with the cassette tapes begging for record. deal. Like In my head, I was like, I want to get a record deal like by my mid 20s. So by now I'm 26 now. I was like, by the time I'm 25, that's the goal. But 10 years earlier than that is when I signed across the dotted line. So it's actually really surreal that, you know, I almost feel like these last 10 years for me have been like the run up to what's to maybe come now. Um, But what I love is the fact that you are with, so you are looked after by uh,
0: one of, I think, one of the best managers in the business, a gentleman called Mark. I've known Mark for many years. Yeah. And I've worked with Mark for many years. He and his wife um, have have managed, you know, incredible acts. Um, I met them when they were putting the sugar babes on their feet, Mark has always had a view that you were a long-term artist. It wasn't about making the first three years really work for you after X Factor. It was always a much longer-term vision because he knows that the songwriting is there as well as this phenomenal voice. You've always had that support, which I think is really important. And also when you went to Mark, when things started to get difficult, he was the first person to say, down tools. Yeah. No,
4: he was. And also Mark was the first person that I think I ever sat down with and listened to me to what I actually, you know, what I wanted to achieve. And he believed me. And having belief in this game is like a huge thing as well, because you can believe in yourself so much. But you need the people that are going to jump in the car with you and you're going to drive it and they're going to come along on the ride with you. And um, back you. you, When you make calls that are
0: unpopular with the label or, you know, I'm not going to wear that. And I'm not going to sing that. And I'm not. gonna He is. Say he's that. like my.
4: He's he. Sometimes we are each other's worst enemy, but for the best reasons. And then, but ha, ha, like the most of the time, and that's only because like I'm being really stubborn about something, and he's trying to like help shape and change my career. Um, but most of the time, I just call him. He's like my biggest protector. Like he won't do anything that you know. I. Always, he's like my second dad now. Like we've known each other for ten I used to years. Say to
0: your mum. Don't worry, she's got Mark. No, because I your know, mum would he is
4: flag. Play and I was like, honestly. And Mark is, to this day, I sat in a room with Mark 10 years ago and before I ever like took him on as my manager... Um, He said what do you want to achieve like what's your biggest like where's the end goal with you and I was like well I don't know where the end goal is but I know that it involves getting a Grammy one day like that's happening and it's it's got to happen you said that at 16 yeah and I can remember like and Mark was like all right we're doing it so me and Mark still have that goal now like yes it's been 10 years on but you hear of artists doing 20 30 years till they get to that moment where you stood up on that stage winning a Grammy and um that still is my goal and like my ambition and my drive. Like, although I've had a lot of success from a young age, like having the number one and the album and a lot of success here in the UK at a young age, like now I'm kind of like, okay, those are stepping stones. And I'm so grateful for like the achievements I've, I've had. And I sit here and say that now because a few years ago, I thought I was a failure. So it's really interesting. Like even when I hear myself saying it, it's taken me a while to get to a place to even say that because I've sat with therapists and all sorts to so be proud of it because I sh- you know, my even my mum like is like you should be proud like, but you should Ella. And you know what? For all the extraordinary experiences, like your extraordinary
0: success, it's still very lonely because it's not something you can sit down with your mates and discuss because they haven't experienced yeah. that. Yeah. So it, actually, it makes total sense to then. Sometimes for, the, for that to just come on top and for you to for break. Sure. And, you know, there's a beautiful thing in Japanese culture where, you know, like if a vase breaks, for example, they repair it with gold leaf so you can see mm. where the cracks are. And I think for a songwriter, that's probably the greatest analogy is that actually you, for for having fallen on the floor and gone, I can't cope at the moment, that that will come back in your music. And Carole King and, and Ella Fitzgerald pain underpinned so much of what they wrote about and you hadn't had any as a 16 year old.
4: No I hadn't I think like life hadn't hit me yet. Not that
0: I'm saying it's great that you had a really difficult time with your mental health (laughs) but you know what I'm saying
4: No for sure. Adele's
0: not known for upbeat cheery (laughs) chit chat is she? (laughs) In, in, In her songs you know Finally it's Tom Grennan We heard from him around the launch of his new album a couple of months ago, but originally he first came on the show with presenter Vic Hope back in August 2020. He told me all about how he'd spent the first year of university basically locked in his bedroom, honing his craft, and revealed some of the songs that he wished he'd written. No spoilers, but there is a big unexpected one in there. Was that one of those defining moments in your life when you went suddenly, oh my God, I can sing. Now what am I going to do with it?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think like when I did that and then that's where i kind of like making the decision whether to go to America or not. So it was like when I did that and then when my friends kind of were like, do you want to just join a band? Do you want to get into this band that we're doing? I was like, ah, nah, I'm not doing that at all. Like I had that moment at the party, but I'm not drunk anymore. So I'm not doing that. And then I did it. And then I kind of, we did it in front of like, uh, they did it for like an A-level performance piece and I helped them do that. And then uh, it wasn't until I had that audience partip- participation, and I was like, and that interaction with with like a school audience, I was like, I've got the bug now. And that's when I decided I'm not I'm not going to go to uni in America. I'm gonna I'm gonna try music. And then all the boys who were in the band were like, we're gonna go to uni and do like maths. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, well, what do you mean you're gonna do like science and maths and that? I'm like, no way. So then that's when I moved to London and then I had to go... The only way to get to London was to to go to university. So I went to uni and studied acting because that's the only A-level I got. Um, so, yeah, and that's when I picked up a guitar and that's when I started writing. I kind of, like, hibernated for a year at uni. I didn't really do, the, the like, the freshest stuff. and I had a few nights, but I didn't really... Focus it all on on drinking and 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 all, and all that kind of stuff. I was just in my room practicing how to play guitar, and that's when I, then I started writing. And then in my second year, I went out and got loads of gigs, like knocked on doors trying to get like open mic nights or or can I can I support this band or can I play in this pub for whatever. And and then it was there. I did that for a year, and then in my third year, luckily enough. A record label was in there, and in a pub, and I got kind of signed from there. Really, it was mad. What's the one song
0: you wish you'd written, and why?
2: I've got two. I would have loved to have written back to back from anyone else, yeah. And I'm still standing by Alan John. yeah. Really? They're
0: so different. Why? But, yeah. Where where those? My two?
2: Favorite songs? Um, I would love to have written the Amy tune because. To have been able to write like Amy um, and make like the sadness in the lyrics and the like the hurt and the pain in the lyrics, but to create something that translates in such a different like makes me feel like happy and like makes me feel like I can do whatever I want to do.
0: There's Some beautiful lyrics in there. I mean, I'm looking at them now. He left no time to regret, kept yeah. his dick wet. <laughs> quite like yeah.
2: that.
0: Uh, with his same old safe bet, me and my head high and my tears dry, yeah. get on without my guy. And it says, You know, I, we said we, we only said goodbye with words, and then I died a hundred times. You go yeah. back to her, and I go back, I go back to us. It is, yeah. it's such a tragic love it's such song, a tragic love song, yeah. but
2: it makes me feel like it doesn't for me, it doesn't make me feel like sad it makes me feel like yeah do you know what i mean but
0: when you read the lyrics of it it's i know it's heartbreakingly awful it like, there's romance in it it's it's yeah. about a woman who's in love with somebody that clearly just thinks of her as mm. a bit on the side
2: i think it's with the music as well like that's what makes me feel like yes it's like there's there's brass in it there's the drum beat to it it's yeah it's an uplifting song for me do you know what i mean it's like I listen to the lyrics, of course, but the way she's tr- made made a tragic song become something so bright and so, like, for me anyway, it's just mad.
0: And of course, it's got the magic hand of uh, Mark Ronson all over it as well. well that's and the you would, you'd never hear that if you listen to the rest of his until Amy his, his work with Amy came along. It was so unlike anything else he'd done. I mean, mm. and to this day, it's, it's quite unlike mm. anything else One he's man done I, since.
2: I would love to work with. Yeah. Let's put it
0: out there, Tom. Let's put it out there.
2: You never know who's listening. Yeah, put it out into the atmosphere now. So, Mark Bronson, if you're listening, I'm available.
0: (laughs) Open, willing and able. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Something From The Cellar. If you want to listen to these episodes in full, scroll back through our back catalogue or simply search for the guest name in your search bar. This week, we featured Ray, Ella Henderson and Tom Grennan with Vic Hope. So I hope that kept you entertained until we're back on Friday when I'll be here with a brand new guest. See you then. White Wine Question Time is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well.